Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fintech Leaders, a weekly podcast where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. If you enjoyed this conversation, I encourage you to share it and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows so more people can learn from it. For today's episode, we're doing something a little bit different. Over the last 12 months, one of the common themes across many episodes has been to learn about the best practices of corporate board management. Several of our guests have sat or currently sit on the board of some of the most incredible firms in the world. And trust me, they had a lot to say about it. So in this episode, I bring you a selection from some of the best lessons, reflections, and secrets on how to build and manage an amazing board of directors. So whether you're a CEO managing a board, an investor who sits on many, an independent board director, or you just want to learn, I hope you find it helpful. Once you're done listening, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So leave a comment, drop me a line, or just let me know what you think. First off, we start with the importance of diversity in boards, including diversity of background, skill, gender, age, thought, and experience. We'll hear from Martina Escobari, co-president of General Atlantic, and Renault Laplanche, co-founder and CEO of Upgrade, who collectively have sat on the boards of Lending Club, The Local, XP, Upgrade, Encode, and many more. I think the best boards are diverse in background and skill. They have short meetings that are fun, and most of the work is done outside the board meeting. If you get those three components right, boards work. It is very rare that those three components exist, but I'm trying everywhere I go. I believe the real work happens outside the boardroom and you have to tap into the individual abilities of each board member so that they can contribute to the journey of a company. And the board meeting is two hours a quarter and you, it is a place for it to be a sounding board for the CEO, primarily. And if he comes to report and expecting a pat in the back, it's a waste of two hours. But if he comes with questions, it's a wonderful two hours. Diversity obviously matters, having the different voice and, and point of view and set of experiences uh, matters. I think probably one aspect of board composition that's not talked about as much, uh, maybe it's not entirely politically correct, um, but it's really about sort of board members of age, um, frankly, because the, I mean, I think the sort of natural um, uh, sort of direction is to sort of go with retired executives, just just because I mean it's a practical matter. They just have more time to be on board than than active executives. Um, and, and there's definitely a benefit in sort of experience and, and wisdom and, and sort of having seen it all. And you need some of that on your board. Uh, but I think you also need um, sort of active um, executive, executives who also for different generation and, and maybe a generation that's closer to, to our employees, to our customers. Uh, I mean, frankly, if, if all your customers are in their um, your average customers' age is in their 30s, 
average customers are in their 30s and your entire board in their 60s, um, there, there is a disconnect and they're not going to be sort of interested in the same things and, and see things the same way. Um, so, so I think that's, uh, again, <laughs> it doesn't get talked about much, uh, but I think it matters. I think that, that sort of um, diversity of that generational diversity on the board, um, it's obviously hard because uh, sort of, uh, great uh, entrepreneurs and great executives are extremely busy and then it's harder for them to, to get on board. Um, so, so I think it's, it's good to have both and maybe you give like the committee chairs uh, to the, the, more, the retired executives who have more time on their hands and, and can sort of prepare uh, for, for committee work and uh, but still have at least one, two, maybe three sort of, uh, more sort of active executives who are, who are going to be uh, sort of providing just again different perspectives on, on issues and be some, sometimes generationally closer to your customers and, and, and your employees. Next up, we hear from Paolo Passoni, former head of SoftBank Latin America, and Jackie Rieses, CEO of LeadBank and former head of Square Financial Services. Some of the boards they've sat on include Nubank, Alibaba, Vitex, Affirm, and Quinto Andar, amongst others. In their experience, most of the work of a board is done outside of the actual board meeting, and smart preparation can be crucial for a productive meeting. CEOs should also remember that the purpose of a meeting is not to show off, but to seek feedback from the group. I thankfully am involved with some incredible companies that I'm really proud to be affiliated with and incredible founders in the tech and entertainment industry who are the world's best entrepreneurs. And there's a similarity in all of them. And I would add Jack to the mix and Jack Ma at Alibaba, who I um, thankfully spent a lot of time with on the Alibaba board. And the commonality is um, an intent to learn and a vulnerability to be open to feedback. And so on both of those dimensions, say intent to learn, what I have seen is the best board meetings are those that are not run like investor relations shows. They're run like sessions to get feedback and to advance the best thinking you possibly can in a room with smart people who have different points of view. And so if you go in with the intent to improve, it enables you to do the second thing I talked about, which is this vulnerability to learn. And where I've seen the most growth and the most and best use of a board is that where founders are willing to listen to feedback and listen to different points of view. And they might not act on it, but it goes into the filter of interesting ideas and insights that might change the way someone thinks. It might reprioritize the way a roadmap is done, it, it might stop them in their tracks, but it definitely, the founder usually absorbs whatever is heard and makes a decision as to how to process it, as opposed to being defensive and putting up fronts to say, no, 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 we've already researched that a thousand ways to Sunday. I have no more to learn. 
And so I, I guess I boil both down to the openness to learn, but that to me makes all the difference in the world and is so obvious as a trait that shines through with the best entrepreneurs in the world. Here's a few things that have come to me after being in like all these boards. Boards that work have five to eight people on the board. When 20 people are in a, in a Zoom call and a lots of people who are not even board members, guess what? Nobody wants to be, nobody want to be really honest and they want to really engage in the problems because it's kind of embarrassing. There's a social dynamic that prevents the board from working. That's an important one. Keep, you know, my view, eliminate uh, observers, have as few people as possible. Second, you have to use the CFO as the, I call the COO of the board. So they have to call each board member a week before, explain to them the results, gather thoughts, so that they force the board members to come prepared to the board meeting. And, and you don't waste time talking about results unless you have to. You focus on the key three to four strategic issues, which is the purpose of the board, right? All of this can only happen if the founders really want a board. I see a lot of what I call performer boards. <laughs> the, the board is a, a not, a not, uh, a, an opportunity for the entrepreneur to keep selling the board members who represent investors for future rounds. So it's, it's almost the equivalent of a quarterly call in a public traded company. <laughs> it's like they talk 90% of the time, the people ask one or two questions, and they go home, they applaud, and they move on. And by the way, some, some companies are amazing, and they're built with what I call performer boards. They're not, <laughs> they don't really have a board. But if you do want a board, then those things that I said, I think are very, very relevant. And last but not least is the composition of the board. So if everyone on the board has the same type of experience, then it, it doesn't help. Like, for example, what I bring to the board is a real understanding of capital allocation, of what it means to be a public company, uh, a passion for them. I love them. So I, I really you know, bring it because I want to see them succeed. So I really want what's best for them before even what's best for me. So you need people like that. But also people with different skills. So, so perhaps... Another board member was an entrepreneur. Perhaps another board member is an expert in your, in, your, in your customers. They really understand what it means to be your customer. Uh, and so it's a, a mix of people with different perspectives who are very collaborative. And they, they, they're not there to show up. They're just to, there to help you. One, one, uh, there's, a, there's a movie that I, I, I love to recommend. It's called Supermunch. It's a... Uh, the history of Shep Gordon. Shep Gordon was an agent for Janis Joplin. He created the concept of celebrity chefs, and he's a great guy. He's still alive. He lives in Hawaii. But, he, like, you you as a board member have to be like Shep. you got to be there for the people, for the entrepreneurs, for the company, not for yourself. You have to be this person that connects everyone. You have to be always thinking about them and serving them. You want board members who are a little bit like that. Uh, I think that's my, my recommendation for a great board. In a nutshell. Finally, we hear from Matt Harris, partner at Bain Capital Ventures, Dave Nangle, CEO of VEF, 
and once again, Paolo Passoni. They've sat or currently sit on the boards of Build Trust, JustWorks, Creditas, Phoenix, Acorns, Confio, and many more. They argue that entrepreneurs should create a board as early as possible, even if it's an informal one, and that great boards are as functional as any other great team at the company. So you should always prioritize the caliber of board members over the size of the investment or the valuation. Great boards should feel like any team at the company. You know, I mean, a, a great founder, a great CEO often views her company, his company, through the lens of, of a series of interlocking teams. There's executive leadership team. There's one layer down. There's the marketing team. That single executive leader has her own team, sales team, et cetera. And so you picture all these kind of circles that intersect. And then there's a board team. And the founder's job is to create a context in which that team gels as a team. Uh, generally speaking, the leader of the company is a member of that team, but also reports to that team. And that's where it, it can get hard for that person to, to create the norms and to bond that team. But that's in essential. <laughs> There's a reason in my mind that in the early stage and even, you know, later stage, but really still rapidly growing founder-led businesses, that the CEO and chairman are one job. Because it really puts the onus of leadership of the board team in the hands of the founder until the company's mature. And then I do think a separation makes sense from a governance perspective. But for a good long time, it really is one of the founder's primary jobs is to make that team coherent and to create a context in which people show up in the, as the best version of themselves, which is to say candid and forthright and not shy or compliant or, you know, it's not about the founder bossing around the board. Just as it's not about the founder bossing around the executive leadership team. It's about getting the best out of those people because there's a version of me who can be disconnected, who can tune out to a certain extent, who can, I'm pr probably not inclined to be bossy and domineering and, and overly challenging, but there's certainly a lot of VCs who are. So VCs have a range of affect. And so a good board is one in which the leader, the chairman, often the founder, creates behavioral norms that bring out the best in those people. And one thing you have to do is diversify away from just VCs, certainly diversify away from any monoculture, ethnic or gender, uh, to create a group that, again, like you'd like to see in your ELT. This is where, if you're an early stage company, so let's say you have two options, right? You're going to raise from friends and family at a higher valuation or raise from amazing funds like Kazakh, Monashis, Val, or et cetera, et cetera, right? So who should you, and those funds are going to give you the money a little bit more expensive, a little lower valuation. But they're going to take a board seat and they're going to help you. So it's a no-brainer for you to get their capital not only for the signal effect for the future, but also because they will be more present with knowledge that is relevant for an early stage company. I really recommend people have boards. <laughs> but let's say you did the, the thing where you, you, scra you, know, you were more scrappy and you, 
as soon as you can, you need to invite really good entrepreneurs to your board. As soon as you can, you need to get the global expert in whatever you're trying to do to be on your board. Because those people will bring invaluable insights and will help you avoid basic mistakes, help you think through it. And you don't have to call it a board. You can call it whatever you want, right? And it doesn't have to be everyone in the same meeting. It can be one-on-ones. But you need people to bounce ideas with. Being an entrepreneur is a very lonely job. Any job that you're leading a lot of people ends up being very lonely at the end of the day. So you need someone where you can be honest, you can be open, you can exchange ideas so that you can course correct. I don't think any of us come into this role as trained board members. There's a few, obviously, but you know, a lot of us come in as investors, former founders, analysts, you name it, into the VC private equity space. Uh, we don't have a master's degree in board management. We make an investment into company X or Y, and we find ourselves on the board. There should be training that comes with that. There should be, you know, we all should be sent off to Harvard Business School for a one-month course in what is a good board member and board management. And people like INSEAD do all these courses. But, you know, you find yourself on a board and you learn on the job or you get training on the side. But a lot of us come in with an investor-first mindset. You know, our capital, our position, how's this going to affect me, my, my, my portfolio, as opposed to the board member mindset, which is, you know, all stakeholders, employees, management, other shareholders, you know, everybody involved in, in that company, debt, debt providers. So it takes time uh, to evolve, to learn. I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Everyone's going to have their own journey here. Um, but it is very hard to sit in a room where maybe your personal, you know, investment is not going to do well from a decision, but that decision is the right decision for the benefit of the company and all stakeholders, and you have to make that decision, you know, and you have to, you know, segregate yourself from the investor hat to the board member hat and balance those. Um, and I guess where the, the horror stories kick in is with people who can't separate those two hats. Um, and that gets very difficult and tricky where they think about themselves and not about the company first. Um, and I get that, and I get the forces. And you add to that that it's mainly most companies are an all-male VC uh, suite of board members. <laughs> so you get the alpha content in the room too. So there's a lot, a lot of mixed effects from that. So um, companies that do break out, that do get bigger, that do move towards IPO um, are ones that start to mix their board up. You get the, the, the balance between you know, every aspect of, of ESG um, and different skill sets kicking in. And it gets to be a better place as it moves towards IPO. Um, but in that interim period, in the growth period, it's interesting what you see from all parties. But, you know, I guess, you know, I'm quite lucky to be on boards in, you know, I said Confio and Creditas, two names in Latam. Um, and some of those boards, you know, can be quite an education when you get the guys from, you know, the, the guys at SoftBank Latam, for example, or the Kazakh guys or the QED guys um, who hold themselves in very high regard and add a serious amount of value. Um, in those board meetings. So, you know, big fans of sitting on boards with people like that, um, which are company first. Now, obviously, the investment is part of that, but company first, and you learn a lot. Folks, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this great recap episode about board management from, honestly, some of the most impressive business leaders in our industry. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. And if you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, just drop me a line. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armazo.